I'm going up the country, baby, don't you want to go? I'm going up the country, baby, don't you want to go? I'm going to some place where I've never been before. This podcast is entitled Canned Heat, and it is a reflection on the construction of human personality and how we actually are built in relationship to ego versus non-ego elements. And uh, it's concrete uh, in a text from a um, novel by Aldous Huxley entitled... After many a summer dies the swan. And uh, this particular text is a, an astonishingly, um, the German word is thick, uh, thick, uh, intensely uh, concentrated uh, uh, portrayal of the human being. And I want to um, say that the human being is uh, basically a form of canned heat. And uh, in doing so, I go a step further in saying what I really want to say, and also in... Um, saying it as uh, philosophically uh, and broadly as I also can, with a little help from Aldous Huxley, and as we'll see, a little help from uh, Woman in the Moon, a 1929 uh, Fritz Lang-directed film. And finally, as it relates to how shall we then live, especially how shall children live. Now, the text from Aldous Huxley is as follows, and this is on page 288 of his novel, After Many a Summer Dies the Swan, which was uh, written in that wonderful uh, period uh, in the 1940s. Um, actually, I think this was written in, uh, published in 1939. He writes here, Between the animal below and the spirit above, there is nothing on the human level except a swarm of constellated impulses and sentimental notions. A swarm brought together by the accidents of heredity and language, a swarm of incongruous and often contradictory thoughts and desires. Memory, he continues, and the slowly changing body constitute a kind of spatio-temporal cage within which the swarm is enclosed. Now, let me uh, speak about that. He um, really sees the human uh, being as uh, perched on, uh, simultaneously on sort of three distinct um, levels. Uh, this is not really a picture of the unity of the corporeal person. This is actually a uh, very um, searching uh, portrayal and in some ways a very ancient portrayal of the human being as uh, sort of perched or seated on uh, three different um, sort of... Um, uh, what what are you uh, of, of, of an offense the the crossbar through three different ones at the same time one of which is actually insubstantial and uh, particular in such a way that its insubstantiality ends at death uh, the other two are substantial and the one of them is eternal what he says is between the animal below and the spirit above. Now, what does he mean by that? Uh, by the animal below, he means the instinctual life of the, of the, of, of the body. <clears throat> and we all are animals. Wiley's word was magic animals. 
uh, we are all instinctual um, uh, beings in our flesh, in our bodies. And that is why, for example, sex uh, has an instinctual power that is uh, always trumps uh, instincts of this kind, always trump uh, all the rational expressions we can give it. We're constantly rationalizing uh, feelings and experiences that are highly sensory that our body instinctually has. That's why the, all the, um, the ideology in the world will never ultimately uh, uh, destroy the instinctual uh, voice, which is uh, I- I undeniable. There's a great line in uh, The Devils of Loudon by Huxley where he says that in the year 1592, uh, there was roughly as much uh, sexual activity as there is today. He's writing in the early 50s. It's just that the way people thought about it was different. I love it. There was as much sex happening in 1592 as there is today. It's just that the way people thought about it was different. Well, the instinctual uh, part of you is secure, and you can fight it, and you can do everything you can to um, talk yourself out of it, but it will always win. But, he says, there's also the spirit above. Now, the ancient word for this is the uh, God, uh, uh, the one, the all, the transcendent, the unity of all uh, love uh, that ultimately is the energy of the world. These are all cliches, and you can all uh, pigeonhole them as sounding uh, very mystical. Uh, but um, my plain experience is that it exists, that there is a uh, – I resonate with – there is something in us all that is tied together – and uh, from which we have come to look at Thomas Cole's painting, The Journey of Life, Part 1, and to which we will go, uh, as in uh, The Journey of Life, Part 4. And between it is sort of CNN. I mean, between it is an- news anchors and the Weather Channel, and uh, sort of roughly, sort of between uh, when, when, when we get the wrong idea, sort of in our teens or early 20s, uh, until that idea is corrected by often and almost always devastatingly disappointing experience of life, and that often happens much later in sort of later maturity. Um, th- those years between sort of 25 and 55 are uh, are the next thing we're going to get to, but they're not the spirit above. Those years are the fretting and the running around doing a lot of things that later on we regard as a waste of time and a complete uh, uh, fruitless and futile attempts to get something that once we got it, we, um, like George Harrison said, we, we are sad we got it, we don't need it. We say, is that all there is, and we spend an awful lot, and then we maybe re, re-ask the same question, always looking outside ourselves for something. And so from uh, this is what the world, the heated world of life that uh, from which Jenny Cavalieri at the end of Love Story, 1970, when she said that death is like my death, she has uh, uh, leukemia and she's dying at age 25, and she says, my death dying, Oliver, she says, is is like uh, falling in slow motion off a cliff, and that's what happens at death. You, or, uh, whether fast motion or slow motion, you're you're falling off the cliff, and you can't even remember the, the crucial numbers for, 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 for Mozart and all the things that you thought were important. You, you don't, they don't even mean anything to you, you let alone... Can you even put them in your mind because the 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 falling off the cliff is uh, has completely taken over uh, towards the 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 unity with that which is ultimately sent you here and that which is uh, waiting as you leave and was in fact there all the time in your twenties thirties and forties but you crowded it out now that's the animal below the instinctual life of a person and it's very related to sex and uh, other things and survival 
and the spirit above, which is uh, God from whom we have come and to whom we are going. But in the meantime, he says, uh, all that exists on the human level, that is on the age 25 to 55, or the what, what I would naturally want to call the ego level, um, all that exists on the human level, he says, is a swarm of constellated impulses and sentimental notions uh, brought together by the accidents of heredity and language, a swarm of incongruous and often contradictory thoughts and desires. And he says memories and the slowly changing body, where all our bodies are changing all the time, can constitute a kind of spatio-temporal cage, canned heat. The heat is there, but it's canned, a cage or can within which the swarms enclose. Now, that's very uh, deep. Uh, and uh, no, that's not really right. The root word. That's that's very sharp. That's very very sharp, <clears throat> because um, that is in fact what you begin to see. You begin to see that the person known as Paul, or the person known as John, or the person known as um, as uh, uh, Jenny, uh, is uh, a whole. Uh, due to all sorts of accidents of heredity and language, it's a incongruous and often contradictory thoughts and desires caged into a spatio-temporal can go on up the country. Now, this is really um, uh, my experience of life, and uh, it's uh, um, certainly what you see when you watch people who have died. Uh, you, Whatever was there, all the things that made the person are uh, a whole bunch of different things. Uh, accidents of heredity and language. I mean, just think about you. A friend of mine who's uh, thinking about a lot of things right now said um, uh, recently, he said, you know, Paul, we, you and I, um, we won the lottery. And I said, what do you mean? He said, well, we, we were born in America in the mid-20th century. Well, that's interesting. Uh, we were born into, because of heredity and language, and uh, we were privileged in the sense that we the, America was not in a war that actually was going to draft us except once, and most of us got out of that in some form or another. Only once from uh, when we were born in the late 40s or early 50s to today, only once has there been a time when uh, either economically or in terms of the draft, was there any real jeopardy? Um, yes, you have Katrina, but anyone who was born under that accident of heredity and language is a very, very, quote, lucky person. It's uh, you, it's an accident. And uh, he was dead right on that. And so that's the, the can is the mid-20th century um, person who was born under whatever circumstances by heredity, language, and education. And uh, then uh, there were a bunch of different thoughts and desires, all of which made up this person with all sorts of inconsistencies, because no one is consistent. Everyone, you know, you constantly meet people who have interests that are oddly at odds with the persona that they present, who are in a constant uh, contradictory thought and desire, and St. Paul told us that. And this is one of the reasons why uh, uh, a, a more um, penetrating view of human nature, whether it's Aldous Huxley's here, or the apostles in uh, the Book of Romans, is so helpful, because the world doesn't know this. The world uh, is stunned when people are incongruous, or they're contradictory within themselves. And people themselves are stunned by incongruous drives that they have, which are in conflict with other things about themselves that they value. They um, they don't understand it. And as a result, <clears throat> they're undone when uh, they begin to see that their contradictory thoughts and desires are un d d d really affecting their life, often deleteriously. So this is important. So um, canned heat, um, and yet, and yet, here's this cage, you might say, into which the swarm is enclosed. I, I wanted to underline another uh, example of this. My friend Bill Bowman. <coughs> 
sent me a copy, a uh, burned DVD of uh, the Fritz Lang uh, movie uh, entitled in the German language where it was made, Frau im Mond. We know it as Woman in the Moon. And it's a uh, Fritz Lang's last movie, I think, in Germany before he came to this country. And it's um, it's the story, Woman in the Moon, and beautifully new Kino uh, DVD of it, of uh, a, a woman and uh, uh, the two men who love her, one her fiancé and the other a far better man, uh, and um, a uh, two other people, and one of them being a scientist, a professor, and a little stowaway as well, a young boy, who um, are very um, accurately for the period uh, sent in a rocket to the moon, the dark side of the moon, in search of all sorts of things, and it has a remarkable denouement, but what is, uh, it's very touching. The first hour is a complete dead Law, skip the first hour. It's a bunch of, uh, it's a, um, it's a um, sort of a spy story, a detective story that <clears throat> has very little passion and power to me cumulatively. But then, about an hour and a half into this long movie, when they actually get on the rocket ship, uh, it, it's very powerful. It's, I would call it epic. And in some ways, um, in some ways, it's a great movie, especially the last sort of twenty minutes, in my view. Kind of a tale of two cities story, really, that has a very non-Dickensian ending. And um, the power of it, however, is that the canned heat comes across. The, 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 the man that, uh, that uh, Frida, the woman in the moon, the female astronaut, um, it gives the lie, by the way, to views that uh, Germany before the Nazis was a hierarchical. I mean, you can say all you want about these various notions, but whatever you may think, um, the beginning, the be-all and end-all of this movie is a female who is very keenly aware that the women of the world are identifying with her, and yet she is also religious, she is humble, she uh, needs and wants very much a relationship with a man, and she is the key figure in the entire uh, movie by any account you give it. But when she recognizes her love for Helios, Helios, the very fine um, um, sort of astronaut who is with her, as opposed to the highly selfish and totally self-protective and cowardly um, Windegger, Hans Windegger, who is also on the ship, we, she puts him off as long as she can, but she realizes that something the heat in the can is coming through because when in, uh, in near the the end she um, helps uh, um, um, bind up a, a broken hand uh, of Helios who sustained an accident during a heroic um, and successful effort to save the rocket ship uh, in space, she... Uh, this is 1929, by the way, and they are wearing German mountaineering uh, costumes most of the time, although they, it, it, it works. It, believe me, it works, the last half. But as she binds him, he looks at her and she looks at him, and this being a silent movie, the eyes say it all. It's hugely emotive without being dumb. And the eyes of Frida and the eyes of Helios, uh, they look into one another and they realize that a connection, uh, an extraordinary human connection has happened between the two uh, pieces of canned heat that are looking at one another, and the heat is coming through the can, through the eyes, in a really very touching way. And uh, some other things happen in which the heat uh, is comes between the two people. You've experienced this in romance. You had a, you, you have in fact been in love uh, at some point. Whether she or he were in love with you back is another question historically. But you've <clears throat> actually been in love, and chances are there has been someone with whom that heat came out of the can. 
hand and touched and uh, came together like an electrical connection. And that is the thing that changed your life forever and ever. It also could have been a father to a son, the canned heat, a mother to a child, canned heat, uh, and uh, uh, a... Um, a, uh, even a, a really wonderful friend to a friend, but most powerfully, it's in the romantic, impulsive uh, unity that the canned heat uh, brings the cans together. And uh, you see it in Frau im Monde. And so what I'm uh, trying to uh, get at is that this uh, text tells us that the uh, all the things that created Paul Zoll or created uh, anyone you want to name, uh, someone you love and you know, your mom or your dad or your sister, or your brother, your child, uh, they are really an accidental connection of uh, different sort of hereditary and environmental uh, um, things that came together in a particular and unique mix uh, and then with other things created the person who is now sitting before you, including yourself. And yet that which is um, from which you've come and towards which your eyes and your love, your love is follow the love and you know that the heat, the heat will always follow the love. Now, um, incidentally, the uh, uh, you, you, you can see this, by the way, I can demonstrate this for you uh, from um, the whole uh, way that nostalgia takes over people, just from the nostalgia industry, let alone nostalgia itself. One of the things we find, uh, I found it and you've found it, uh, people, you will find it if you haven't, uh, it's because it's instinctive. It's something that is in you, whether you, it is, it is driving you, whether you're able to control it or not, is the tremendous urge to reconnect with your past. People, when they get to a certain age, they are constantly attempting, whether they like it or not, in some form or another, they're drawn to their past. They're drawn to their past, but they're not drawn to the terrible moments in their past. They're drawn to those moments in the past which uh, which uh, conveyed liberation, conveyed belovedness, conveyed nurture, conveyed hope, emancipation, even separateness in the sense of an emancipated free human being. You go back to a place where you were able to be yourself or where you found love or where you and your wife or you and your husband first really connected or you and a lost love first connected or you and your child connected. Uh, you see this a very the, the nostalgia drives you to the emancipated uh, heat of the divine love, uh, which is the ultimate thing within you and acting through you towards merger with that which is like itself. You're not drawn to terrible places, you know, where you spent six months in prison or where you were, um, you had a terrible scene with someone or some terrible angry outburst that destroyed or damaged a relationship that came out of you. You're never drawn to those places. You're drawn to the songs that that uh, touched you, our song. What's all that about? What's happening when you're drawn back to our song, the many our songs of the past? Look at your uh, your uh, iTunes uh, uh, list. Look at the songs that, look at the way you, to, to what material are you drawn? You're drawn to where the, the emancipated self was most hopeful and most uh, powerful. Uh, a friend um, has taken a road trip recently to some early schools where he was. Some of them were very good and they mean a great deal. Now with Scrooge, He's taken on a journey and he's extremely powerfully touched by the journey to his childhood. 
Then he's embarrassed and saddened and shocked by the later journeys to his adulthood. He is touched by his child before the ego, before the can constricted, before the world closed in. As I think Wordsworth said, the child, the world closed in on the child. Kerouac talks about this very powerfully. You're drawn to where you were emancipated and free. And that tells you that what Huxley is saying that is true. You you are the... the uh, you're drawn to the divine above that was also the divine below, that was uh, the, the, that I talked about through the eyes. And this is what uh, keeps you going with the people you love. The part about the woman you love is that she represents something to you that came out of you, the true self, you might call it, as opposed to all the aggression, uh, the concomitant sense of entitlement and demand. And uh, what I find is so interesting, so many of the years of my life that were uh, devoted to ambitious uh, self-aggrandizement uh, or trying to make it up the ladder in some stupid uh, and ridiculous form that I thought took seriously and I certainly thought was the way you're supposed to go. I don't go back to those things. I'm embarrassed at that self, but I'm always touched by the self. You know, your children, you go back to where your children are little. You, you go back to where you had that contact of father love, mother love, sexual romantic love, and never, by the way, underestimate the power of the sexual. It is a fundamental in people, and it is all tied in. It's a good thing, and uh, we do very, very badly when we <clears throat> traipse it around with uh, with um, uh, with no's, whether it's politically correct no's, N-O, or whether it's religious taboos, which are not really in keeping with the heart of religion. In a um, screenplay uh, built up as a novel that Huxley wrote called Ape and Essence, right about the same time as, uh, as uh, the... Uh, uh, the Swan book, um, he uh, posits a world where the uh, women uh, are required all except for two weeks of the year, which are sort of their uh, pressure cooker time when the pressure's taken off and everybody goes wild, male and female. But they, they put, they have to um, sew <coughs> patches over their breasts too, which they each say no. And then around their middle, they have to wear a kind of apron uh, that with a very large N-O exclamation point. And of course, that re reflects a society which is hopelessly cut off from the heat that is in the can. And I uh, uh, want to underline that. And I want to say that the case in point is where is your nostalgia leading itself? Where do you <coughs> hark back to? What, what, wh who, who, who in your past life do you <coughs> find yourself <coughs> thinking about? or uh, mooning about, or um, talking to. Uh, fortunately, that person can sometimes be the person you're still with, uh, but it may not be the case. And uh, we do a terrible disservice to our children when we uh, try to focus on the can and not the the heat. And we try to talk about we, we, we're, the ego, this, this ego, which is this tremendously defensive part of ourselves, which is needing to, to uh, tie together the different accidental uh, pickup sticks that forms the scarecrow ego self, uh, this very defensive, weakened ego that is trying to assert its sovereignty and expression, you know, um, whether you want to call it girl power or boy power, um, ambition, all these things, they're uh, terrible because we uh, create a world in which everybody's riding for a fall. And this is, Mockingbird is so good on this because if they always quote from these pathetic um, sort of pep talks that people regard as important uh, at commencement time, 99 out of 100 commencement talks, with the obvious exception, by the way, of Steve Jobs' talk, which was quite different at Stanford last year. 
But most of these talks, living your dream and fulfilling yourself and all that, and so few of them deal with the fact that if you do that, if you live for yourself and you try to fulfill a dream that is highly diaphanous and ephemeral as it is and changes all the time in its object, you will, you're riding for a fall. So we educate our children to ride for a fall. We tell them to ride an ego that inevitably, inevitably, in some form or another, will totter and collapse. It'll be any number of reasons why it totters and collapses. And thank God that for Aldous Huxley, it collapsed when he went to Spain and he saw that on the one hand, he'd rejected his Christian origins, but on the other hand, political ideology was just as uh, he came to see a misleading for the fulfillment of the human self. And he went his very interesting and po positive mystical path. Or uh, uh, thank God that you know Siddhartha saw at a very young age the, 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 the deafening voice that no one hears often until they're actually themselves in the situation of old age, uh, suffering, uh, death and sickness. He saw it. He was taken. He saw it. And his tutor was undone when poor Siddhartha at such a young age was confronted with the reality that we don't want to see. So... Um, uh, Jesus Christ went alone into the desert where he had to face uh, the demons uh, and he faced the demon and he was faced with all the concupiscence of the world and his famous temptations to which he finally realized that these were none of them fulfilling the human um, the heat in the can and so he began his great uh, his great pilgrimage and his great uh, evangelistic mission to say ye must be born anew there's no question that the whole world when it becomes attached to its ego it needs to have that disattached and we need to be born anew to the heat in the can and then of course the can can take all sorts of uh, interesting postures and positions um, and do some good uh, whatever that may happen to be look at St. Francis now um, the concluding word then in uh, canned heat is to uh, say, uh, you know, look at the uh, views that you have that are basically built to sustain comfort, support, and uh, and uh, massively strengthen the ego. And uh, these are all things that you have passed on to your children and were passed on to you haplessly by dads and moms. And they are simply creating a, you're riding a scarecrow and at some point the scarecrow is going to collapse and you're going to fall off Humpty Dumpty and all the king's men and all the king's horses could not put Tumpty Dumpty back together again because the ego cannot be. It is a pickup sticks. It's 52 pickup in the cards, as I said the other day. So what do we do? We we get into contact, very similar to that remarkable movie that's now on DVD called, um, not Area 51, what is it called? The, the wonderful one, uh, Super 8. Uh, when the child, uh, Brian Courtney, g g gets in, uh, uh, we, the viewer, we, the living, get in touch with the child who is <coughs> profoundly in touch. And through the child, he can do all things. Through the heat in the can, this wonderful young morning child, and through the girl who supports him and helps him, and uh, like Frida in uh, Frau im Monde, 1929, the, the woman supports him, in this case the 14-year-old girl, and look at that. Look what happens. And he's able to talk down the alien because he looks in the alien in the canned heat. He sees the heat of love in the alien's eyes and the heat of hurt and the heat of misery and the hurt of longing in the alien's eyes. And the alien sees it in him. 
and as a result of the heat that they share in their cans, uh, the alien is subdued and the town is saved. This is a beautiful movie, Super 8. So what do we do? We get in touch with the child who plays. I mean, it's such a cliche, but it absolutely is true, the uses of imagination. Uh, you need to get in touch with the part of you that plays and part of your children that is a playful person. And that is the, the, that is the only part of you that can really save you because it's emancipated and free and is not under the law and under constraint. It's a cliche that is true. True. And you need to constantly, we need to help our children realize that achievement and energy that is futile and compensations and uh, uh, all the ambitions that people are taught to fulfill in their egotistical uh, advancement of their journey, you know, institutional advancement. Forget it. The ego does not need institutional advancement. How many uh, institutions have I been part of that have advancement officers? And I want to say, no. Uh, advancement of institution is something that occurs when the institution is in touch with its greatest vision and cause. The advancement is not something you um, reify. It's something that is a result as works and um, grace, uh, the fruit of the spirit. Uh, the advancement of the institution occurs automatically when love for that which is love in the heart and meaning and original construction of the institution is uh, you're in touch with that. Uh, it happens automatically. Um, you cannot advance your ego, your life by advancing an ego, which is riding, as I said, on a scarecrow for a fall. Go back to the love. Go back to the going up the country. What on fire? Maybe don't you want to go? Go into the heat of the can. And it is, uh, we do need to really um, educate our children, which we'll never do, in the proper understanding of the sexual unity of that love in this body, given the instinctual life of a person. That will never happen. Uh, in uh, Hulte Cuxley's novel, Island from 1962. There is an attempt to lay this out. I think it's ultimately unsuccessful uh, because you can't really lay it out. But it is absolutely, if it doesn't happen, you'll have uh, children whose notions of love are uh, entirely unintegrated. Um, play, love, um, don't underestimate ever the power of the sexual and the instinctual life of a person, male and female, and then maybe you'll get somewhere. Canned heat. I hope you've uh, uh, you've uh, received a picture of the human being that is both deconstructive, noble, and also instinctual, and that through this, your own life uh, can achieve a kind of far more effortless, um, um, energetic, uh, uh, fruitful hope of what the next step might be in your life than um, all these uh, uh, dingbat illusions that uh, create highly disappointed persons, and often in old age, very uh, bitter ones. And the point of the podcast is to help you not become such a person. Thank you so very much and God bless you.